The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes 11.7 through 12.8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the window are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, that was weird, wasn't it? that scripture reading. We're going to walk through uh, what in the world is going on with all of that passage about grasshoppers and grinders and all that stuff. Um, It's great to be with you uh, this morning for a couple of reasons. One is I love being able to come and be a part of CPC in town. Um, I don't know if you all know this or not, but uh, I kind of have a little bit of a bromance with Stacy Croft um, and have for a long time. Uh, I think it was his hair that drew me at first, but um, I just love him. I love him. He's a, good, he's a good friend. So that's one of the reasons I'm glad to be here. Another one, which uh, not to be true, too dramatic, but it pertains to what it is that we're talking about. One of the reasons I'm glad to be here is because um, <clears throat> there was a season in my life not that long ago when it was possible I might not have been here. Uh, About almost exactly five years ago, um, five years ago this this month, or next month really, um, I sat at the Starbucks right over there by Vanderbilt's campus on the patio. Um, I remember being there, I was by myself, and I wrote while I was there on the patio five letters. And those five letters were one to my wife and one to each of my four children. And the reason I was writing those letters is because I had been um, diagnosed with a pretty serious and sudden illness that would require 
a pretty major surgery, which would involve uh, stopping my heart for six hours while my blood circulated through an oxygenating machine which sat on the table next to me. And the letters were in case things went bad. I had just turned 40 at the time. Uh, I spent my 40th birthday in the hospital uh, being diagnosed with what was, what was wrong with me. And I remember how strange it felt to be focused on my mortality at such a young age. I'd never been in the hospital for any reason. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I had this, this major surgery coming and I was going through the process of doing things like signing living wills and giving instructions to the hospital what to do if, you know, life-sustaining measures were required. I had to start signing things that just, you know, just never imagine that you're going to have to do anything like that. And that's because we, we live in a culture that does everything that we can, everything that we can to keep thoughts of aging and mortality at bay. We really insulate ourselves uh, from these things because they remind us, thinking about mortality and aging, it just reminds us what the minister says to the congregant on Ash Wednesday when he bends down and he presses that ashen cross into the forehead of the congregant. Do you know what he says? He says, memento mori which is a Latin phrase that means remember that you were mortal or in a, maybe a more plain spoken way, remember that you have to die. Now listen, one of the ways that we insulate ourselves from talking about our mortality is we say things like, well, it's just morbid to talk about that kind of thing as though it's understood that talking about morbid things is somehow uncivilized. Today's scripture is a scripture that calls us to look at our mortality when we're young for the purpose of not wasting our lives and not wasting our worship. It's not only right to talk about our mortality, it's important to talk about our mortality. And Ecclesiastes just <laughs> gives us two barrels worth of it, right? It's just, there's a lot of talking about mortality and leading us into the room where that's the conversation, our mortality and the brevity of life. So we're gonna walk through this passage today. We're gonna take it in two halves as the scripture kind of breaks it up. The first half is, is this call to rejoice in your life while you're living it. So don't waste eras of your life just kind of working it out in order to get to a season of your life that you can enjoy and rejoice in. Rejoice in your life while you're enjoying it. And then the second part is remember your creator in the days of your youth, which are both very practical applications kind of out of the gate, right? Rejoice in your life while it's happening and remember your creator while you have a memory. And then we're going to land by coming to the communion table, which really kind of frames every conversation that Christians will ever have about the brevity of life here on earth. This table is, is a bridge for helping us understand our mortality. So let's get right into it. The first part, rejoice in your life while you're living it. I love the candidness of Scripture. That the author of Ecclesiastes here, I mean, by, by chapter 11 in Ecclesiastes, we know that this writer is not writing to impress us. He's not writing to become our friends, right? He's, he's being this, 
He's writing this plain spoken, sometimes difficult and soul searching truth, and he's, and he's not letting up. And so by now, by the time we get to chapter 11, we've already covered a variety of things, like the vanity of trying to find our worth in our work or in pleasure, or in wisdom, or in achievement, or in power. So it's nothing new to come to this passage, which opens by reminding us, hey, life is fleeting. It's short. It's, we we kind of saw this coming, right? That, yeah, this is going to be part of the message, is that this life that we live, there is a time to live and there's a time to die. So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to actually just kind of walk through the verse. And so if you want to have it open, it is, I'll just remind you, it's Ecclesiastes 11, uh, 7 through 12, 8. And I'll just be kind of walking us through this text sort of expositionally as we go. In verse 7, he says, light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Yesterday, I hope all of you spent some time outdoors. I think it was the most beautiful day we've had in, uh, in a year. It was just, it was perfect. It was a perfect day. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. I want us to take a second and understand what the writer means by youth in this context. Because we're wondering, is he talking to me? Is he talking to a teenager? Is he talking to, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're 50, um, are you past the age of what it is that he's saying? What he's doing, and we see this in the context of, of the way he's describing it, is he means anybody who is in control of his or her faculties. So if you are calling the shots um, on what you do with your day, if you're living um, out your days before the days of darkness. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. Uh, and by the way, that second half of this passage is just a, um, an incredible litany, and we'll walk through it, of, of what it means to age. Um, but what he's saying here is he's saying whether you're 16 or whether you're 60, to the extent that you're calling the shots with how you spend your days, he's talking to you. Do you rejoice in the years that you've been given? Here's the thing. American people do. And I, I would assume other cultures do it, but I don't know that other cultures do it to the degree that American people do it. And that is that we can look at years of our lives as years that exist just to frame the process to get to another year that's the one that we're really after. And so we can spend, you may be in a season right now where you say, yeah, 2017 and 18 and 19 are kind of dedicated to doing this thing that I have to do so that I can get to 2020 and really be on my game. And what this passage is saying is don't lay down 2017, 2018, and 2019 on the altar of sacrifice and say these years don't really count because it's just time to kind of get to work and get things done. When we're, we're young, we can look at years as, as pivot points to the real stuff of life. The thing that we're after, the job, the marriage, the house, the feeling of being settled, that elusive me metric of success, that if we're honest with ourselves, we've had those metrics of success that we've reached and passed, and they haven't actually turned out to be as soul-satisfying as we thought they would be when we were five years younger. If only I could do X, I, I think I would feel really content. And then X kind of comes and goes, and you think, well, all that did was awaken in me the, it took away the innocence of what X was. And now I'm like, oh, 
I don't need that. I need that plus these other eight things. And so we go after that thinking that that'll satisfy us, and it won't. We have to remember, as the author Annie Dillard said, that how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. You don't have any wasted years. Don't waste any years. That's what he's saying. Enjoy them all. Rejoice in them all. It's a tall order to convince a young person to have a long view of life in this way. Since the dawn of the parent-child relationship, parents have been trying to tell children, learn from my mistakes, gather my wisdom. It will spare you from a lifetime of misery and searching and barking up the wrong tree. And there's a long line of people who have done the very thing that you're trying to do and it always fails. So just listen to me. You don't need to do that. And then the children say, thank you, mother and father, for sparing me the misery of having to learn from my own mistakes. That was a close one. That's not what happens, is it? We say, when we're young, you, mother and father, do not know what you're talking about. You don't understand me. I got this. Hold my beer. Right? And we, and we go off on the path and we try to, and, and, and it happens the same way. It's a tall order to convince a kid to embrace the wisdom because wisdom needs a lab, not just a textbook, right? It has to work itself out. It has to be real and not just theoretical. I mean, I didn't really think a lot about my mortality until I was told that I was dying. Why would I have? This, no doubt, is why children have to learn from their own mistakes, If we took a poll, I am certain that in the 90% segment of this room, we would say that the most important things that we learned in life came through struggle and pain and mistake. But he's saying, don't don't squander years that are just given over to process. Enjoy them all. So how do we do this? How do we pay attention and rejoice in the years that we have while we still have youthfulness? He goes on to say this. He says, rejoice in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So remember, God is in the mix and he's watching. He's involved. And then he says, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So what he's saying here, how do you rejoice in the years that are yours? How do you rejoice in the life that you've been given while you're living it? It's really a matter of addition and subtraction. That's what's happening here. He says, add to your life cheer. Never, ever underestimate the importance of doing things that are fun. Do things that are fun. Have fun. The Bible commands you to have fun. We can go through life seeing this world as a sterile compound of highways and office buildings and storefronts and traffic and unending work, 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 work. But this world is a playground. It's an amazing place. It's filled with mystery and beauty and humor and art and literature and wise people with smart things to say. And this passage is saying, add that. Add that to the mix of your life. Add things that cheer you. And he doesn't just say it wide open. He says, look, understand that you're doing this under the gaze of God who is your judge. 
So cooperate with God's system. Live within his framework. But have fun. Go after things that bring you joy. But remember that you live under the gaze of God who sees you, he knows you. Don't be a fool. Don't forsake his way. Know that he judges you, but live within his system and add fun to your life. The Bible tells you that. And then it says, and subtract. I love this. Subtract vexation, which literally what that means is subtract the things that irritate anger and grieve you. Subtract those things from your heart and subtract pain. Literally the word here means evil or, I love this, moral frailty. Subtract moral frailty from your body. It's, it's candid counsel. What's he saying? How do you rejoice in your life when you're young? Listen, how do you rejoice in your life when you're young? Don't sabotage your joy. Don't sabotage your joy. Man, we do this though, don't we? We do this. We love to hurt. We love to feel pain. Makes us feel alive. And he's saying the things that vex you, these things that cause you to lose hours to anger and cynicism and unnecessary sorrow, jealousies, fruitless political and social and theological deep dives online, which are only designed to calcify the base and villainize the other side. Just get rid of those things. Remove them. They're not there to help you. They don't care about your heart. They only take and they take and they take. And coddling these things is like pushing on a bruise just for the sake of feeling the pain. And I know that in my own life, I've gone through seasons. There was a stretch in my 20s where I loved to hurt I just love to feel kind of the forlorn, heartbroken, misunderstood, sensitive artist kind of thing. I loved it. it. Made me feel alive. And this passage is saying, get over yourself a little bit on that front. Have fun. Don't add pain just for the sake of adding pain. And then he says, and these patterns and behaviors that hurt you, the things that you do that actually hurt you, that play on your moral frailty, the little indiscretions that you allow yourself that end up blowing up in the end, the things that are outside of God's design for how we're meant to live in relationship with one another, these things that only lead to heartache where the pain far outweighs whatever pleasure seemed to be promised. Remove those things too. Don't let your youth be filled with drama and heartache for foundationless loves that were destined to collapse in the first place. Cut those things loose. Don't add that to your life. Subtract that from your life. It's such a practical, candid thing that Scripture is saying. Have fun. Enjoy life with a clear conscience before God and remove things that sabotage your joy. That's, he's telling us how to live before the days go dark. Because that's where this passage moves into. He moves into this saying, because the days are going to go dark. They're going to go dark. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That fun that you're having, that joy that you're curating. Remember God in the process of that. That's the second part of this. Can you believe that part of the Bible's instruction for how to live a good life involves the counsel to have fun and to reject things that sabotage your joy? It doesn't sound on its surface super spiritual, 
doesn't it? Have fun. And yet at the same time it is because if we're, if we're having fun remembering our creator, remembering, remembering that we're made in the image of a God who is like us, then we remember that when we have this command to pursue pleasure and joy, what's happening is God is saying, pursue pleasure and joy because in doing that, you will learn about my character. You will learn about me, God says. You want to taste in part, he wants us to taste in part what he knows in full, a joy and pleasure that is unparalleled. He wants us to remember him in our pursuit of joy and he wants us to link the two. He wants us to connect those two things, the pursuit of pleasure and the love of God. So what does it mean to remember our creator in the days of our youth? We're going to land there, but I want to unpack the thing about the grasshopper and the grinders um, here. This awesome litany of expressions of aging, because that's what that was in, in Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 7 or 8. So I'm going to unpack that as we prepare to land here. The Bible is a book that is filled with humor. It's not jokey. Like the Bible is not a jokey book. The humor is not in zingers and one-liners. The humor in the Bible is more the sort that makes you think and then laugh at a truth and the absurdities of our attempts to deny what is true. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes here says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before dot, dot, dot. And then there's just this litany of things that comes after that word before that deserves a moment of explanation because it piles on one euphemism after another about getting old. It's somber to be sure, but I defy you to tell me there isn't a little bit of humor in what's happening here. So I'm gonna walk through these quickly. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before, and here it starts, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In other words, the word evil here is not moral evil, but it's kind of the sense of calamity before things just fall apart. So he's saying before the calamity of reaching the point when nothing is fun anymore, when it's hard to live, when it hurts to get out of bed, I have no pleasure in getting out of bed. And then he goes on. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is the idea of a glaucoma setting in. Your eyes are going cloudy. Before our eyes become clouded over and the world starts to go dark, we don't see as clearly as much as we used to. We have to start using reading glasses and things like this. He goes on, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and on the doors and the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. This litany is before our hands begin to tremble with age, our backs begin to hunch over, our grinders, which are our teeth, are mostly gone and we're just kind of gumming our way through our meals at this point. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? To think that if you're a dentist, uh, here's some dental theology for you. Is that in a way what this passage is saying is you're given as many teeth as you have so that when you get old, at least you'll have some. That's what it's saying. When your teeth are mostly gone, you're gumming your way through the food. You wake up at an ungodly hour because a bird is singing out your window and you can't go back to bed. There's no going back to bed once you wake up. 
And you don't even enjoy music anymore. And then he says, they're afraid also of what is high and the terrors that are in the way. In other words, before we become afraid of what will happen if we miss a step and we trip and we fall. And that's a real concern where if I fall off of something, I may never recover from that. Or if I go out, I may get stranded or lost and I'm scared of that thought. I love how we're reading manuscript that's thousands of years old and yet here we are in 2018 and we're like, that's what happens. That's what happens. He goes on. Almond trees blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along, desires fail. When, almond, when an almond orchard is in blossom, it just goes completely white. This is an image of your hair going white. When, you're, when your hair looks like an almond orchard in bloom and it's just white, you're old, and we walk along with the arthritic gait that resembles a grasshopper that is dragging itself. And we lose our sexual appetite. And then he says, before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern. What's happening here, these are all images of the body being a container for life. And so we're a golden bowl that's suspended by a silver cord, a beautiful thing, a glorious thing. And the cord snaps and the bowl breaks. We're a bucket on the edge of a fountain and the bucket falls into the fountain and the cord and the pulley that pulls that bucket back up is gone. It's just gone. And then he ends, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. When the metaphors are exhausted, the blunt summary comes to this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before your spirit leaves your body in death. Before your, your spirit leaves your body in death and before your spirit ascends to its maker and your body is put in the ground. Remember your creator. Now the humor here is in the piling on and the imagery and the grinders and the grasshopper dragging itself. All these things that are, that are in there. Remember your creator before the calamity of everything that we just described comes upon you. And the thing about that calamity of aging is that it comes upon us gradually to where most of us are conscious that it's happening as it's happening right? And so that's happening. And we know that there's likely going to come a time when if we live long enough, we will suffer the losses that are listed here. And that is not funny. It's a sobering thing to think of the losses. If you just add them up that are listed here, the loss of sight, mental acuity, physical strength, Stability, sexual desire, memory, the confidence to be alone, interaction with other people, that those things are kind of what start to fall away as the darkness settles. So why, in a passage that is saying, rejoice in your creator in the days of your youth, Rejoice in the years that you've been given. Delight in the life that you have while you're living it. Why would he end with this kind of morbid picture of the decaying body? Why would he do that? Is that just to say, look, tick-tock, the clock is ticking. You don't have a lot of time to enjoy life, so you better get on it. 
No, he, he's doing this to remind us, look, this life that you have is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And I'll, I'll end with this. We don't rejoice in life and remember our creator in spite of the fact that life is fleeting. We rejoice in life and we remember our creators in the days of our youth because life is fleeting. The reality of death teaches us how to live. How? Well, I want to conclude. There's these three quick ways that I will, I will give us as a way of, of wrapping this up. A thousand more, but here are three. First, delighting in our youth and remembering our creator enables us to recognize this life is a gift. It's a great thing. It's a great thing to be alive. There's so much beauty here. There's so much goodness. There's so much to love. We have the capacity to be loved by others. There's so much pleasure here. And the writer is saying, don't miss it. Don't miss that. This life is not all there is, but this life is a gift. It's something. Second, second is that thinking about our mortality and our creator reminds us that this life, this golden bowl suspended by the silver cord, as wonderful as it is, this is the life that contains all of our sorrows and pains and only this life. This is the life that contains our sorrows and pains. When Christians remember our creator, we remember Jesus who broke the power of sin and death by taking our guilt, by dying the death that we deserve to die. And what happens in that is that every sad thing in our lives, every trouble that breaks our heart, every pain that brings us low, every injustice that keeps our world divided, every catastrophe that indiscriminately wipes image bearers of God off the face of the earth will yield to his power forever. For the believer, every sad thing comes in this life only. Not the next. When that silver cord snaps and the golden bowl falls we will be free of all of the darkening and the pain. And so we delight in the coming certain end of all sorrow by remembering the sorrow that's a part of this life and looking at it and saying, as bad as you look, you don't have the final say. As my friend Sandra McCracken says, this is not okay, so I know this is not the end. Last, living our lives in the confident mercy and grace of God reminds us, I don't have to do a thing to establish or prove my worth in this life. I don't have to spend a day of my life trying to establish that it was worth me being here. So many of us, that's all we do. We get out of bed in the morning and we try to establish... I'm adding something of value, therefore my life is significant and, and it justifies my existence. The point of living is not to make our lives worth something. They already are. As defined by the one who made them in his image. And that truth sets us free to enjoy this life 
without always pushing and grinding and chasing after the wind. It's an amazing thing to be alive. The tastes and the sounds and the smells and the sights and the sensations. It's amazing. And so I leave you with this charge. Have fun. Enjoy life with a clear conscience before God and remove things from your life which sabotage your joy because this pleases the Lord. As we prepare to come to the communion table, I want to pray first and then we'll, we'll come into that transition of this table which speaks so much to why we can have a joyful confidence even in the face of our mortality. But let's pray first.